Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 22 of Cruel Summer, our look back at each and every G1 Climax tournament finals from the years 1991 to 2018. And uh, episode 22 is covering the 2012 G1 Climax featuring Kazuchika Okada versus Carl Anderson in uh, the finals from Budokan Hall on from August 12th, 2012. And joining me today uh, is a return guest. He is uh, co-hosting this show along with pretty much everything else on postwrestling.com. He is waiting. Wei, how are you today? I'm doing very well. It's a pleasure to be back. 22 episodes already. Damn. Um, my congratulations to you. Uh, you're, I would consider this sort of the home stretch. Is this the home stretch? I got like six more episodes of uh, of this left, and I, I will say I've in, I've enjoyed doing them, and I enjoy watching the matches. I don't like necessarily doing note taking, right? And it, I'm just I just hate writing. Believe it or not, I hate writing. I enjoy writing, but I I hate sitting down to write. It's it's the part where I have to motivate myself to actually sit in front of my computer and just think creatively, and then just start typing. Once I finish it, I'm like, I'm happy with it. Like, you know, all the previews I do for the, for the site about, you know, Best of Super Juniors, Champions Carnival. And I just did the, as of this recording, I just uh, finished the G1 Climax 2019 preview that's up on the site right now. Um, but it's just sitting down, motivating myself is, is the hard part. Because I'm like, I want to watch some TV. I want to watch some some wrestling. Oh, and I got to I gotta finish this preview. I got to finish this article I'm writing or I got to finish this something else I'm writing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I mean, uh, are you specifically talking about watching a match and taking notes at the same time or, or just writing in general? Just writing in general, but like right. note taking during matches is, is really annoying for me because oh. I don't know how anyone else does it, but I, I use a notepad. I'm old school. I use a notepad and a pen and I just like, okay, write something down. And then my, my handwriting is so indecipherable when I'm doing shorthand. Yeah. That I, when I'm when I'm, re, when I'm transcribing it, like in a neater way, and I'm just like, uh, this is what did I say here? I can't remember. Yeah, I mean, I've tried that. Um, I in fact, like I've tried it on iPad with a stylus, and my my handwriting is just so bad I can never read back. Um, I find I have to have a, a keyboard, but like sometimes I can get by with like a just like even typing on my cell phone. Yeah, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. I used to go to like, you know, G- like wrestling shows with, with Chris Charlton, you know, back before he got the job with uh, New Japan for Wrestling. And, and he'd just be on his phone, like just typing away on Twitter and stuff like that. And I'm like, are you paying attention? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. You learn to watch a lot of wrestling with your ears. I can't do that way. I just can't do that. Yeah. But anyways, so this is your second appearance on Cruel Summer. Of course, you did the uh, 2001 show, uh, Keiji Muto versus Yuji Nagata uh, episode with me. And that was really good. That's actually, as of this recording, I think that's being released today or tomorrow. In, in, uh, in, in, in uh, I would say, seven hours from now. In seven hours, as, as of this recording. But yeah. by the time this is released, it'll have been, you know, disseminated, digested regurgitated by all the listeners of Cruel Summer already. So, you know, but that's something that we should just mention that you were on the 2001 episode. Uh, so this is the 2012, so we're, we're 11 years later. Just as a general uh, feeling that you've had about the, the kind of the differences between seeing a match from 2001 and seeing a match from 2012, what would you say are the big differences you find? Or are there any? 
I mean, it's a world of difference in terms of uh, the era of New Japan, isn't it? You know, um, honestly, like when you we think about things from 11 years ago, uh, and I'm thinking about what is it would be 2008 till now. I guess it, it really is a, a world of difference in, in pro wrestling terms because the turnover could be so big. Um, but um, yeah, some some things. Um, not really. Production wise, I, I would say it, it's still very much the same show. Um, you know, in terms of the staging, in terms of like the lighting, in terms of like uh it, it's to me like New Japan their their presentation seems to be very traditional. Um and, and a lot of like things are kind of like set in place. And that's kind of part of the appeal of it. That's why like winning something uh in twenty nineteen feels like it means so much because so many people have won it in the exact like it it's looked the same and it's almost felt the same dating all the way back to, to 1990. Um, so I couldn't say that there was much difference, but in terms of like who the stars were, I mean, it was, it's, it's completely different. It is completely different. This is really 2000. I feel 2010, 2011 was the start of what I would call like the Tanahashi Nakamura generation really taking over the main event spots in the company. And then with this episode, with this particular G1, we see like the, the rise of Kazushika Okada in the company uh let's get into the tournament itself so the 2012 g1 climax was a two block 18 man round robin tournament held from august 1st to august 12th in the a block we have machine gun carl anderson hiroshi tanahashi shelton benjamin who made his g1 debut yuji nagata minoru suzuki satoshi kojima uh so naomichi marafuji from pro wrestling noah toriano and yujiro Takahashi and what do you what do you think about this block? Um, I feel like it's a pretty good looking block. Um, of you know, filled with I would say uh, international talent as well as you know maybe kind of a standard New Japan um you know roster members that you still see even to this day. Um, it's starting to look a bit more modern and a lot more like you know the 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 roster that we see right now. Yes, and then in B block we have. Kazushika Okada, who is making his G1 debut in uh, this particular tournament. Lance Archer, Hiroki Goto, Toki Makabe, MVP, Tetsuya Naito, Hiroyoshi Tenzan, Shinsuke Nakamura, and Rush from CMML also making his G1 debut. So I have to say, like, well, let's talk about B-Block in a second, but this is a really loaded debut uh, tournament. Like, it's very similar to, I feel like, what we're getting in 2019. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I guess among them, pr- perhaps most notable is Kazuchika Okada. Yes. And what do you think about the, the B block? It's um, it's it's a fine-looking block. Uh, you know, I think as long as you have uh, uh, Nakamura and Okada in there, it's it, it, it doesn't look as good as, like, the G1s of today, I have to say. Um, but I think if I'm looking at both rosters, I might actually prefer... A block. Mm. I'm gonna say I would agree with you. I think the inclusion of like Nagata and Suzuki mixing it with Marfuji, especially, is really interesting to me. And then, of course, you know, this is like Carl Anderson. Like at this point, Giant Bernard has left New Japan. He's gone to the back to WF WWE to be Lord Tenzai. And then, of course, he just drop everything and become the, the head trainer at uh, NXT in the Performance Center. Um, so this is like the big push for Carl Anderson to become a single star because he just was in the, the Bad Intentions tag team for most of his New Japan career. So it was really interesting to see how he would fare as a single star and like what kind 
of a push they would give him. And obviously, he went to the finals. So they gave him a huge push in this tournament uh, with key wins over, like, I mean, well, I was just going to go into his, his wins for, for Carl Anderson. He beat Shelton Benjamin. He beat Yuji Nagata. He beat Minoru uh, Suzuki. Toriano. And in the big upset on the last night, he beat Hiroshi Tanahashi. Um, mm-hmm. And I think for that, he uh, he was tied with Tanahashi. They both had 10 points. But the thing is that Anderson beat Minoru Suzuki, who had a win over Tanahashi, and thus he had the tiebreaker over Tanahashi. So this is where this idea of tiebreakers really comes into the idea that as a viewer, if you really want to get the most out of you know, the G1 Climax or pretty much any other wrestling tournament that uses a point system, it, it pays to pay attention. But for me, I have I find it so hard to keep up with the wins and losses in the G1 and then who has wins over who and how that plays into like if there's a tie at the end or going into the last two nights of the of the tournament. How do you feel about things like, you know, keeping track of like who's got wins over who and tiebreakers and such? It's something I don't really care about until like the last two or three shows. Um, like to think about it, like there are people that I, I know, you know, doing uh, picks for our pool for the G1 this year that have like their entire scenarios mapped out. Okay, this person's going to go here at the end and then this one's going to be the spoiler. This one's going to be a draw. And I'm like, what's the point? There's no, I mean, it, it, it's fun to play Booker. That's really the point ultimately. This is all fun, but like it's so hard to predict uh, because there's so many ways that everything can go. I feel those people are the ones who are like real sports fans who follow like football or, or, or baseball or anything else where these things really matter, you know, in mm-hmm. those kinds of sports. Um, I love it. To- like, I really do respect it. And, and like, it, we're talking about sort of, you know, uh, for a long time, like a presentation of pro wrestling in the WWE that's been missing a great element of that type of like deep thinking, hard statistic type of uh, uh, sporting element. Yeah, for sure. Um, but just going back to Carl uh, Anderson, he, his losses were to Satoshi Kojima, Naomi Shimarafuji, and Yujiro Takahashi. Uh, let's go to Okada. So in his in his round robin section, he beats Lance Archer, Togi Makabe, MVP, Rush, and Hiroshi, Hiroyoshi Tenzan. And he loses to Goto, Naito, and Nakamura, which I find interesting in that these are all like big-time rivals throughout his career in New Japan from the time he returns back from from TNA. And the Nakamura, Nakamura one is interesting because he was in chaos at this time, right? And Nakamura was the leader? Yes. Uh, so a lot of people will say that that match, which Nakamura won, solidified Nakamura as the leader of chaos, even though Okada was getting the huge push and Okada was the one being positioned as the champion, the IWGP champion. But Nakamura is still the leader of chaos. Like, you know, everyone looks at him because of his seniority. This, this is where, like, the whole idea of senpai, kohai... Uh, you know, senior, junior comes into play in Japanese culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, looking at like their G1s um, heading into the, these finals, I mean, maybe simply being a part of a, maybe a more stacked uh, block. Carl uh, Anderson, Anderson seems to have like the more impressive roster of wins, I would say. Oh, definitely. He's getting the big push. He's he's like, I think they're thinking of him as like, oh, he's, he's going to be our, our top four in it guy. You know, like where if we, yeah. maybe the idea of, the U.S. expansion hasn't really crystallized, but if it has, if there's even like a glimmer of like, what what do we want to do? We want to do some shows outside of the United States. We need someone to be the face of 
that expansion. We need like a foreigner. And they thought, okay, well, Carl Anderson, he's a good, he's a great wrestler. He's been in the company for a long time. Let's see if he can hang, hang with the, the big stars in, in singles matches. And obviously he could, he, he acquitted himself very, very well. I think this is probably his greatest run in new Japan. Everything else that came before and everything that else came after was pretty much as a tag team wrestler. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I remember getting wind of this, uh, even without following New Japan at the time, simply because this was the only the second foreigner to be in the finals of the G1, uh, following Rick Rude, of course. Yes. So it, 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 it says something about how, how Ghetto felt about Carl Anderson at that time. So let's go into the match. Uh, we start on New Japan World, and uh, Kazushika Okada comes out first to a very big reception from all the fans in Sumo Hall. Uh, second is uh, Carl Anderson, who gets, I felt, not as big a reception, but this is going to play in later as we get the, um, you know, we get the ring introductions inside the ring, and Anderson's name gets called, and this pla- this place goes nuts for him. I couldn't believe it. And there's a big Anderson call for the machine gun way. Is it simply because it's, you know, sort of an underdog story that people appreciate? Why, and why do you think that is? I think it, a lot of it has to do that he got the upset win over Tanahashi and they thought, oh my God, we're going to witness the birth of a new star in this company. He's going to be a main event guy. And I think people like Carl Anderson because he spent so much time in Japan as one half of the IWGP Tag Team Champions for a long time. But he always showed that he appreciated like Japanese wrestling and working in Japan and, and spending a lot of time in Japan. So I think... That's something that Japanese fans really, really appreciate. And at the time, like when you were watching this, how, what, what do you think the chances were of him actually winning this match? At that time, I didn't think he, I didn't think he had a chance because it was very clear that Okada was the guy. He was the big project. He was the person that they were going to pin the next ten years on as far as like headlining this company and carrying the company on his back, along with Nakamura and Tanahashi, of course. But this is the guy. So Carl Anderson, I don't think had necessarily the cachet in the eyes of the fans in terms of like, is he going to be a main event player? Is he going to be a future IWGP champion? So, but the the fact that he got into the finals, the fact that he pinned Tanahashi uh, is, was something that I think triggered a lot of the fans to thinking, okay, we want this guy to be successful, we want Carl Anderson to be a main event player. And also to keep in mind that there's, there's this kind of like kind of backlash against Okada. Cause like when he first came back, he got the immediate win over Tanahashi after, at, uh, I think the new beginning. And then he had that run with the title and there was kind of a backlash against Okada. Like, Oh, he's being pushed down our throats. He got the belt too soon. We don't like him. It took, for him to lose the title and really this G1 and and subsequent like matches after where people were like okay we like him now he's being pushed organically uh down down you know to to us not down our throats but like we're we're accepting of him now because now this feels organic that like the way he's the wins he's getting isn't don't seem forced necessarily and it's like it was hard to accept him like really right off the bat he's the IWGP champion now it's like okay he's working his way towards that belt. So I think there is a large segment of fans who want to see Carl Anderson because he had an organic path to what they felt was the top of the, the roster 
in 2012. Yeah, I, w- I was actually going to ask you, you know, what was public perception for Kazuchika Okada at the time, having just won and lost the IWGP Championship? But um, that makes perfect sense. It's It almost seems like this was the G1 where he actually earned the audience's respect. Definitely, definitely. Uh, so we start the match, and both men are, are very evenly matched, as neither can get an advantage over the other. Uh, both men go for their finishers about four minutes in. Uh, you know, uh, so I'm trying to think. Uh, big support for like you know the the gunstun uh, attempt is mm-hmm. very much like uh, popping the crowd at this point, and him being able to to escape from the rainmaker also gets a lot of uh, cheers from the fans. Uh, Anderson finally gains the upper hand as the match goes to the apron and uh, Carl, Carl Anderson lands a big boot to the face uh, of Kazuchika Okada and gives him an arm breaker over the top rope, which sends him down to the floor. And the, to, to, to note here is that Carl Anderson targeted Okada's uh, right arm, which is, of course, the arm he uses to hit the Rainmaker. Yes, yes. Makes perfect sense. Yes. Uh, Anderson continues the attack on the right arm. On the outside, he rams it into the metal barrier a couple of times. He, he kicks at it. Uh, he gives him a knee drop with no knee pad. He, he gives him more kicks, a couple of elbows. Anderson has a clear game plan in taking away Okada's biggest weapon in the Rainmaker. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the story of this match was relatively simple. It was like um, both guys targeting the specific portions where their finishers would either be negated or... Uh, be most affected and in Anderson's case it was attacking Okada's arms to take away the Raymaker and in Okada's case it was working on the neck and head so that the Raymaker could be more effective yeah exactly so to that point Okada is able to turn the tide of the match when he drop kicks Anderson off the top turnbuckle and uh, poor Carl Anderson falls all the way to the floor uh Okada follows him out and attacks Anderson's neck with elbows and by ramming him into the uh, metal guard barrier as well. At one point, he places Anderson's head in between the <laughs> the, the metal bars of the, the gate door, mm-hmm. and it looks like he's choking him. But, like, I don't know. I, I never really liked that, unless you're really wrenching on it to look make it look more legit. I always think it looks really fake when people do that. It's They kind of do the same thing with, like, chairs, folding chairs, you know, putting people's yes. head in it, and then, I don't know, just, like, jamming it. It, it does get a bit of a reaction. It does. I, I just, when you get close up with the camera shot, I think, okay, there's like this huge gap between his head, his neck, and the actual barrier, right. which is good. I don't want to see him actually get hurt. Well, no, that's a valid criticism. Maybe you don't go close in for, for shots like that. Uh, Okada takes the action back into the ring and he slows the pace down with what I would call an, like an arm trap rear chin lock of sorts. And uh, I looked this up, Wait, it's called the deep in debt. Yeah, the DID, as the announcer yeah, called it. Um, I felt a pretty lame submission with a pretty lame name to, on top of it. Like, it, not just because of the name, but also because it kind of makes it look like Okada, Okada is the one being attacked because he has to lay underneath the person in order to apply this thing. Yeah, well, he, he applies a, a variation of it later on in the match, and that one looks more better because he's on top, whereas in this version, like at this point, he's on his back. It looks like he's getting pinned. Yeah. So, not not. I think he agrees with you because he doesn't use it anymore. He he stopped using this move. This and the red ink, I believe he he's kind of maybe only pulls out. I don't know when the last time he might have used this. I yeah. This is like I saw this move and I thought, have I ever seen this move? Yeah. Like since or 
before i can't i can't remember so definitely doesn't use anymore i do appreciate Uh, the whole money theme to you know all of his um uh, moves deep in debt (laughs) well it's either that or or rain references heavy rain yes and things like that of course yeah but who came Uh, up with deep in debt i think you know like I i think ghetto yeah, were they playing like Monopoly and just like looking for terms or something? I don't know. Uh, maybe maybe he's deep in debt. Maybe he's oh. borrowed money from from the yakuza Who to she pay wrote? off his nah, yakuza to oh. pay off his uh, his uh, pachinko debts. Way you don't want to get in, you don't want to get in debt playing the pachinko oh in Japan. From what I understand, I hate the pachinko. By the way, played it once and I thought, what's the fucking point of this game? How, I don't get it. How do you actually play? I've been in those like uh, rooms uh, plenty of times, but I have no idea how those things work. Are they just slot machines? Is it all chance or what? No, it's so you control like uh, what do we call it? A lever that controls like the nozzle that shoots these metal balls into, and like you're trying to hit targets, I think, or you're trying to get them into side the holes. But it's all vertical, so it's all going vertical. You know, it's not a horizontal table; it's a vertical game. Uh-huh. So I don't, I don't understand like it. Like my friend tried to explain it to me. I'm like, he's like, no, no, you're, you're but they're like shooting out at 100 miles per hour so i don't know how you're supposed to aim these things so there's actual skill involved it's not just a game of chance there is skill involved i do not have that skill which is probably a good thing because you can you can win a lot of money playing this game or you can lose a lot of money playing this game and do you know about gambling in japan way not that much please explain it's completely illegal here by the way so like casinos don't exist in japan Pachinko is gambling, but they have a nice... You can't play for money. So what you do is, like, you t- you get you collect balls, like these metal balls that, that come out of the machine into, like, these trays you have, right? And when you're done, you take all these balls and you take them to a counter. And you give the trays to the, the staff, and then they'll weigh it or they'll, they'll have a counter where they, like, empty the trays into a counter and it counts how many balls you have. And then they give you a prize, or they give you a ticket saying you get this this it's a certificate not for money because that's completely illegal right and, and you, then like Chuck E Cheese kind of yes so like here's here's a PlayStation right from here what you do is with that PlayStation I'm not and it's not actually a PlayStation what I'm is I don't know what kind of prizes they give usually it's like stuffed animals or something you you go off the premises okay and you go around the corner usually and then there's another ticket office or a window, and you give the prizes to them, and they give you the cash equivalent of those prizes. Oh, wow. So you don't, you cannot actually get money from inside the Pacheco parlor. You have to go physically outside, and you go a short distance to where it's another place associated with the Pacheco parlor. It's probably owned by the same people under different company names, maybe. And then you, you exchange all the gifts you got for playing Pachinko. And then they give you the cash equivalent. So I've I've known people tell me they oh yeah well, I won three hundred dollars. How did you get it? Like you can't get money. Oh, they gave it to me in prizes, and then I exchanged those prizes to the uh, to the ticket counter around the window. So could I simply like find where they get these stuffed animals and just go and exchange them for like three hundred dollars? I think they're all labeled or something like you know barcodes or something. I'm I'm not sure exactly how it works because I played it once. I didn't win. I gave up, and I thought this is not for me. I think they're probably one of those the one one of the unhealthiest hobbies that exists in Japan. I know Simply people Simply being in the room with all that smoke. Obviously, yeah, that that can't be good for you. And and the noise. Yes. 
Like, I'll go, I'll walk by one, and if someone's coming out or going in and the door opens, it's just, like, a cacophony of, like, white, like, what, is it not white noise, but, like, just this horrible, like, beeping, flashing light sound. It's, it's, it's such a headache way. I don't even know how these people do it without earplugs. It really boggles my mind. But deep in debt, probably ghetto. I, he looks like a pachinko guy to me. <laughs> I don't know if he is or not. He looks like a pachinko dude yeah. to me. Anyways, getting back to the <laughs> match, uh, we see that, yeah, so at this point, it's really interesting. Okada is getting booed by the crowd, and the crowd is really cheering for Carl Anderson. So I've, I'm, like, really fascinated psychologically at, like, what the fans are feeling for Okada at mm-hmm. this point in the match, at least, and maybe at this point in his New Japan career. Um, Anderson is able to deliver a huge quarter boot to the face, which takes Okada down, and then he does a big senton and then gives him a one-legged drop kick. Uh, Okada hits a top rope elbow, and the crowd boos for this amazing way. Really is, yeah. I mean, especially considering, you know, if this was obviously Hiroshi Tanahashi, you would expect it. But this is Carl Anderson, who, uh, from all accounts, an untested babyface and uh, being put in this high-profile role in the, in the finals, it, it maybe goes to show you how good of a job they did with him prior to this match. Yeah, and then, you know, Okada being the excellent worker that he is, you know, all these boos puts a smirk on his face. And then before before that, like before he turns around and to do the Rainmaker pose, and of course, the hard camera zooms out. And so I feel like, you know, if Okada ever goes to the WB, he's already halfway there to the main roster. He doesn't need to go to NXT because he knows how to work the hard cam way. Well, does the hard cam know how to follow Okada? That's the question. Like, imagine... I mean, I, okay, we're talking about a real hypothetical that I personally don't ever want to see happen. But if it does, I'm trying to imagine, like, the conversation that... I don't know who has to have. Maybe Triple H has to have with Kevin Dunn. Okay, when he does this, make sure you get the camera guy to pull out. Uh, I just... I think that would be hilarious. Because I I wonder what Kevin Dunn would think of this. I think Kevin Dunn would instruct his camera operators to, like, okay, zoom in. Zoom out, zoom in, zoom out. <laughs> yeah. Like 10 times, like yes. that horrible and shake, WB camera work. Shake yeah. it, shake it. Shake it, shake it, yeah. Like real, uh, like, a, like a real thunder rain, uh, rain cloud or something. Maybe we'll have rain, what, rain effects on top of it. That's what they'll do. They'll like, it won't be CGI, it'll be real rain. They'll have like a shower nozzle uh, installed above the ring and it's going to rain on him before he even finishes the match. Okay. That's, that's WB these days. Anyway, Carl Anderson blocks the Rainmaker. He hits the ropes, but Okada is able to catch him with a flapjack and then puts him in the uh, deep in debt again. I, you know the thing about the deep in debt? It really like shows off the kind of moves he learned while he was training training in Toyama, Mexico with Ultimo Dragon. Mm-hmm. That Yave style that is very, very popular in right. Lucha Libre. Submissions that you, you would never see uh, otherwise. Like in, exactly. in North America or Japanese wrestling. Exactly. Or unless you're watching like, you know, a, Lucha Lib- a luchador working in America or in uh, in Japan, like say a right. drag- Dragon Lee sometimes pulls out, you know, a submission move here and there. It's it's, it's not common, but, it, you know, it's nice to see. I like Yave. Sometimes when I watch Lucha Libre and I see like all this chain wrestling in the Lucha Libre style, I'm like, that's amazing. Like, that's something, if I was a wrestler, I want to learn that and combine it with like, real like jujitsu or something like that just to create this really interesting hybrid of mm-hmm. that kind of submission game as well as with uh british wrestling british mm-hmm. grappling is something i i deeply love as well um 
in a great sequence, uh, Anderson uh, halts uh, Okada's assault on him with a spine buster. There's an uh, Okada hits an air raid crash with a running setup. Uh, oh, sorry, Okada's air raid crash, and then there's an, a running setup powerbomb for a big two from from Carl Anderson. Uh, oh, sorry, Okada's air raid crash is blocked. Yeah, and then it's turned into a running setup powerbomb. For a big two count for Carl Anderson. At this point, we're we're, get, we're riding into the crescendo of the match. Way it's really good. Uh, as a side note, I don't know if you noticed the young lion oh, yeah. who's standing outside, so, firmly supporting Carl Anderson. Do you know who that is? Are you talking about Hiromu Takahashi? It is Hiromu Takahashi. Yes. It's it's really it's really cool that he's positioned as not supporting Okada, but he's supporting. Carl Anderson, and I'll and I'll get to a point later because we'll see a couple of other young lions out there as well that we'll, we'll identify. Um, there's a top rope netbreaker, a one and a two from Carl Anderson, and he kicks out uh, out of that. Okada kicks out of that. Uh, Okada sets up for the uh, uh, sorry, ARC for a two. The air raid crash. Air, well, air raid crash for for a two. Yes, uh, goes for a heavy rain, a two count. Uh, a big boot from Carl Anderson uh, as Okada goes back to the top rope. Uh, Anderson hits an avalanche gun stun from the second rope. One, two, two and a half. That was an amazing move. Like he hit basically a top rope RKO gun stun mm-hmm. on Okada. That Okada was willing to take that shows that he trusts Carl Anderson a great deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, the crowd's going nuts for this. They're firmly thinking Anderson's got this in the bag. Anderson goes for the Bernard driver, the finishing move of Giant Bernard, his former tag team partner, for a one, two, two and a half again. And then also, at this point, he kicks out, of course. But we see that another young lion is also firmly supporting Carl Anderson. And who would that be, Wade? Do you know? Are you talking about Yuji Nagata, who is like in, some, in somebody's corner? Or maybe I'm thinking of a different match actually that I watched recently. Uh, the other young line uh, uh, was it uh, um, Ryusuke Taguchi? It, no, he's not a young line at this point. No, um, it's ta- Takaaki Watarabe. Oh, okay. No, I did not notice. Who is, of course, now known as Evil. So oh, it's pretty I had funny. No idea. So that's Evil out there. You completely unrecognizable <laughs> yeah. when he was a young lion. But you have to understand, like when Hiromu Takahashi was a young lion. It was him, it was uh, Evil, and it was uh, Kyosuke Mikami, who is uh, El Desperado, who we actually see later in the post-match, because he's the one helping bring like the trophies and the giant check into the ring uh, during the award ceremony. But we're not, we're not at that point right now. Uh, and then we see, what I thought that was a good, idea, that's a good detail from Ghetto. Like, okay, these young lions who usually support, you know, the guys who are from, you know, New Japan, who are like the native wrestlers, they're supporting Carl Anderson because you have to remember that Carl Anderson is actually part of the dojo, the, the dojo system. He started off in the Inoki dojo. He came into the Japanese dojo for a brief time, I believe before he went on to, you know, the tag team stuff he would do with John Bernard. And then he's firmly established himself as a new Japan talent. So it, it's a really good detail that, okay, we're going to give him the singles push. We're going to give him the babyface push because he's a member of Huntai at this point, the New Japan regular army. So for the young lions to be like behind him is like, okay, the fans are like being clued in. This is our guy. He's one of us. So you should be supporting him. It's a nice little touch from, from I believe, Ghetto. It's probably his idea for this. Really interesting. Yeah, I I didn't know that they they were so careful about something like that. 
Yeah, so from this point, uh, the gun stun is blocked. Uh, Anderson is shot into the ropes, and Okada hits his standing dropkick. Uh, elbow strike exchanges that uh, Anderson wins, but uh, Okada fires back with uppercuts. Uh, gun stun is blocked. Rainmaker turned into a gun stun attempt. Rainmaker stopped with an elbow to the face. Boot to the face. Gun stun blocked. Uh, standing dropkick drop to the back of the head. Tombstone foul driver. Rainmaker. One, two, three. Holy shit, that was less, like, just watching that, I had to go back, like, five times to, like, write my notes, you know? I was like, okay, God, I got, what did he do then? What did he do then? So it was, but each each time, way, like, five times I went back to watch the sequence, it was amazing every time I watched it. Just the smoothness and how how well these two really work together in countering each other's finishers. It w- really was beautiful, um, and I would say not something I've seen Carl Anderson do uh, at all uh, this match or anything within this match kind of like it uh, during his tenure in the WWE. Um, that was the finish, right? WH? Yes. That's yes. The finish. Yeah. Uh, I thought this ended up being a really good match. Um, once they got, of course, especially into the gun stuns and the rainmakers, they really got me. So I certainly consider this to be worthy of a G1 final. Uh, I, I would say I was most impressed with how, how much this crowd got behind Carl Anderson as a baby face. And it's just, again, you know, I'm not even sure if he's even had a singles match in the WWE, to be honest with you, much less, you know, a match where he's able to go out there and, and wrestle like this for 30 minutes. I certainly feel like the gun son being taken away from him was probably a big loss. Cause um, it was like the stuff that was the best stuff of his in this match was everything surrounding that finisher, all the variants uh, attached to it, reverse gun stuns, super gun stuns. So I don't even know what his singles finisher is, to be honest with you, right now. I have no idea. It's not the gun stun. Like, obviously, in a company that has Randy Orton in it, he's not doing that move. Yes. Yes, unfortunately. Uh, Yeah, so I got to say about Carl Anderson, I felt this was probably the peak of his career in, in New Japan. Like, he's, like, being shown that, hey, we believe in you. So he's like, okay, I'm gonna kill it. So he killed it. Like, and then subsequent singles stuff he did after was really good. And then he would form a short-lived tag team with Roki Goto, Sword, and Gun. And then after that would be the creation of the Bull Club. And a lot of people would argue that the Bull Club made him a worldwide star. And I would not dispute that. But at the same time, he was slotted to second fiddle to whoever the Bull Club leader was at that point, whether it be like Fergal Devitt or whether it's AJ Styles or Kenny Omega. Or yeah, I mean, if, if if he stayed around to Jay White, like he would not be the leader of anything. He wouldn't be the push guy in the faction. He then was regulated back to being a tag team wrestler with uh, Doc Gallows, which I felt is was a complete waste of his talents because he he showed like we got a top line single star in Carl Anderson who can you know if we want to do shows in in the United States or Canada, we can push this guy as like, hey, this guy's an amazing wrestler. He's someone that you can like, you know, get behind. You can like relate to more than maybe some of the Japanese talent, and that's all been taken away. And and he's not even. I don't think he'll ever get to back back to being a single star in his career way. Well, it's kind of unfortunate because I mean, um, in both those cases, in Fergal David and Angie Styles, I mean, you're talking about two guys that, in my opinion, are are simply better. Um, maybe more charismatic, maybe with a bit more kind of a mass appeal internationally. Um, no doubt Carl Anderson, I think, can be very impressive. But unfortunately, like, 
especially in the case of AJ Styles, you know, you're talking about somebody who is like among the best ever. So how how do you how would you say uh, his singles run fared after this? Well, he he would like get a shot at the uh, the, the the contract. This is like the first year that they would do the the contract for Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, it was on the line before Wrestle Kingdom. So Okada, after the match, stated that he wanted his shot, his title shot at the IWGP Champion, to be at Wrestle Kingdom on January fourth, two thousand thirteen. Of course, at the Tokyo Dome. And then because you know Carl Anderson impressed so much during this match and in the match with Tanahashi, they said, okay, he's going to put it up against Carl Anderson, and he. And he beat Carl Anderson at King of Pro Wrestling on October 8th. And then from there, like, Carl Anderson just kind of was downgraded. But I, I felt he could have bounced back in the, the, the next year in the G1. But at that point, I believe the Bullet Club had started. And he was just like, okay, you're a tag wrestler. You're, you're the muscle. You're, the, you're, you're the, the, the minion of Fergal Devitt. You're the minion of AJ Styles. So, you know, if he was never in Bullet Club, I think there was a very, very good chance that they would have pushed him as a top line like new japan like foreign wrestler like how juice robinson is used now but he was never going to get that as being a member of the bullet club yeah uh, and again like you said it's sort of one of those things um you know where did it ultimately help or hinder his progression as as a, as a wrestler certainly i don't know if um he would be an international name without the Bullet Club with the, I don't know if he would be, you know, working with the WWE right now, if not for the Bullet Club. And again, you can argue whether or not that's, you know, a good thing. But I think if you ask Carl Anderson, uh, in terms of like maybe his checkbook and maybe being close to family, maybe he would consider that definitely a good thing that he's with the WWE. Oh, for sure. We, I don't know. I mean, like I look at his Twitter sometimes and it seems like he misses Japan a lot, but I, I think there's also something to be said that he seems like, He's happy. He can go see his family every week. He's not away from them for like two, three weeks at a time and then coming back for two weeks and then going back to Japan. So I think there's goods and bads for his career. Maybe staying in Japan would have been better, but maybe for his family life, which is, I get, I feel more important for him that it's better that he's with the WWE. But, you know, it's neither here nor there. It is what it is. I, I, you know, I would be more happy for him if you know, members of the Bullet Club actually saw Bullet Club merchandise money, but mm-hmm. New Japan wrestlers don't get, or at least I, as far as I know, New Japan foreign wrestlers don't get merchandise money. I'm sure that's been renegotiated now because, like, if I'm, like, you know, a foreign wrestler who's, like, on a Kenny Omega, Will Ospreay level, and I'm renegotiating my contract with New Japan, I'd be like, well, I want, I want points on the merchandise. I want royalties. That would be a big stickler for me. Yeah, he also missed out on sort of like the peak period of like those, you know, the hot topic sales and, and all that. Um, so, you know, and I don't know how many people are buying uh, Gallows and Anderson t-shirts from the WWE, unfortunately. Are, are there Gallows and Anderson t-shirts? I think the there are. I think there are. Um, they made like club t-shirts at some point. So um, maybe there's like the, they do the OGBC thing is what they, uh, they try to sell. Uh Tell me what what you felt this uh, whole thing did for Okada uh, coming out of this G1. Well, the perception of him, I think, shifted with that sequence. And then he just showed that he's, you know, like he's able to work that main event style. And 
I think from here on end, like, I think this is like one of the first instances also, like he, he cut a promo because like they're teasing that he doesn't speak a lot and then Ghetto cuts a promo and then Ghetto gives him the mic and then he finally cuts a promo and the, and the crowd's eating it up. So I think it really helped shift him towards this guy that everyone really, really loves and it's behind the, and they respect him now as like a guy who's made it through to the top organically. And that's a word I like to use, like for people like, you know, like, like Okada at this point, like, you know, like Will Ospreay in 2019, like there's, there's a natural progression to where they started at in the company to where they are now in like top spots in New Japan. So really, I think this is the point that that shifts, the, the, the tide shifts for him in the eyes of the fans. Yeah, uh, and really quite amazing when you think about like how early really like his run uh, as the Rainmaker was at this point. You know, just even seeing him in ring, not only did he look the part, of course, but he had the intensity and that smoothness in ring of of just a top shelf performer. So, um, yeah, and, yeah, and he two two notes about Okada in this match. Like one is that he became the youngest person at the age of twenty four to win the G one. Uh, he became uh, only the second person to win the G1 in his first try. I'm trying to remember who the other one is. Um, I'll, I'll look that up. Yeah. Uh, um, um, and also, this is the first is time. It Hiroki he, Goto? It might. It, it was Hiroki Goto. You're correct. Um, so the other thing was that this is the first time that they like he he's the first person to specifically state, "I want my title shot at Wrestle Kingdom." And from 2012 now. On that that became the gimmick where okay it became like the royal rumble where you're supposed to get if you win the royal rumble you get the, the main event slot title shot at wrestlemania obviously that that doesn't matter in wb sure. now but we we see that with the winner of the g1 gets that extra like meaning of the g1 is now not only are you the g1 winner but you're also getting the main event slot at wrestle kingdom yeah yeah and i think it absolutely makes the tournament man like it, it's it's it, I'm sure it was already like incredibly prestigious, but before that, but I think to have this like show like basically half year long storyline coming from the end of this tournament all the way to the end, it it it, it like just connects everything into like a really nice way. Um, so was the original intent just like for the winner to be able to announce a, a title shot at any time, and it's just like I guess Okada and Gato announcing Wrestle Kingdom here that they started to adopt that as a tradition. Yeah, it was it was really with the advent of you know Okada as the champion that they thought okay we're gonna make the G one win also the title side like I think they really borrowed a lot of that from the WWE also mm-hmm. like putting the contract in a suitcase is also a very heavy nod to the Money in the Bank you know contract uh, briefcase as well so you know this is where like Ghetto's you know fascination and, and love for Western style wrestling really kind of bleeds into like the you know the new japan system um and then like the, him having to defend like now at this point okada like i said has to defend that title shot so he he defeated carl anderson at king of pro wrestling in october and then later on he would defend it again against hiroki goto at power struggle on november 11th so which i'm not a big fan of i i actually prefer like that sacred he wins the g1 he gets he keeps the trophy he keeps the flag he keeps the five billion yen, you know, check, and he keeps like his title shot. That that's that's sacrosanct. That, that you don't touch that. The champion can change. I feel the champion has to defend the title before January fourth. But I don't think the challenger should change. 
Yeah, I, I understand that. At the same time, man, like if I'm saying in storyline, what's to stop somebody like, let's say, for instance, Jay White from winning the G1 and then basically just like forfeiting every other match that he that will have until the Wrestle Kingdom? I said I wouldn't like that. I was just like, no, I don't I don't want I think the challenger the, who is now the winner of the G1 should go into the G1 into the into Wrestle Kingdom like as strong as possible. Well, yeah, that's just my philosophy. About I mean, wrestling. in story, I, what's the incentive? For winning? Oh, like for Jay for White winning to... those other matches, if you're already getting that title shot. I don't know. Pride? <laughs> I, I would hope people well, like in my... character and in real life would have some pride in, <laughs> in having guess, good matches. I guess my question is, W, it's like when this was first announced, do you, did you were you at all concerned that like end of August to January is a lot of time and, and in between that time, you're, you're, you have uh, quite a few main events to fill. How are you going to keep the intrigue uh, going all the way until January. Uh, like I said, you you put the title on the line, not the title, you know, not the title shot. I, right. Like I, I just it's just something like I I am like very, um, I'm in I'm in, I'm immovable on this way. Like you know what I mean? It's just something mm. you you can give me all these arguments. I'm gonna say no, no, no. <laughs> don't like it, don't like it, don't like it. I I can be very. Uh, stubborn when it comes to philosophies about professional wrestling as as some people might know out there so <laughs> anyways overall what did you think uh, of this match i loved it i i was one of the first g ones where i really like oh my god it's this is like an epic level match that you know that that really reminded me of like akiyama and tenzan back in the day it reminded me of muto and chono from the first one it reminded me of the kojima tanahashi one like for me, I was just like, oh, it's it's up there in the pantheon of in maybe in my top ten of all the G ones so far. I, I could certainly understand that. Yeah, uh, I like the match a lot, especially considering you know uh, this being Carl Anderson. Um, I thought he really impressed here, especially with the way he managed to get this crowd, which I did not expect uh, watching this match at all. I, I I feel like you know this is a standard of match that I think has been surpassed like a few times over but i would certainly consider this to be like sort of the beginning of like the current era and the current phase and the current style of like this type of like counter for counter type of match that that you know with a number of like near falls that by the end feels incredibly epic so um i i really enjoyed it i did yeah for me i like the story behind it i like the story of carl anderson in this match i think that's what propels it to a really high level for me the match itself is great, but it's really like the support that the Japanese fans are giving Carl Anderson. I, I really like that aspect of it. This idea that he's being positioned as a New Japan guy, not as a, a foreign wrestler who sometimes works in the company. That really like, makes me happy to see things like that. The details of having Hiromu Takahashi and Evil as Young Lions out there to support him. They're like cheering, you know, get, get the win, get the win, get the win. I really love all those things that it's kind of those surrounding ideas those surrounding details that really you know push it up for me yeah yeah i totally understand all right well that that draws the conclusion to the the g1 talk of this episode let's move on to the trivia and and i and i took all the trivia for like the canadian charts and box office for you way 
because <laughs> you're from Canada, like myself. Sure. Uh, so in August of 2012, what is the number one song on the on the music charts? Oh man, you're talking about a, a like I, I think everything after like maybe 2010 is going to be a huge blind spot. I probably pretty much like stopped listening to much pop music at around that like this period. So I'm going to take a wild guess. 2012 August. Is it something from Taylor Swift? It's not from Taylor Swift. It's it's a male artist. His name is two parts, but if you put them together, they 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 look like you know a very famous United uh, U.S. state. Oh, Florida, of course. Yes, how could I, how could I mistake Florida? Yes. Well, uh, song. the song. Okay. Um. So green light would have come around after because I know that one. Would it be um? Shit, I don't know any Florida songs. I don't even know what, what I'm looking for. Uh, a song called Whistle by Florida. You know how it goes? I don't, I, I don't even know any song by Florida. It's also like people say, WH, what's the best song from Drake? You're from Toronto. I'm like, dude, I, I couldn't tell you a Drake song if it hit me with a car. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, number that, one album. Like, the, I don't know if you've ever seen the Kiki Challenge um wh but you could probably you could have been hit by a car many cars attempting the kiki challenge at one time about a year ago oh yeah where people get out of the cars yes and do some song and then they get back in the car yes i call that the moron challenge actually i think every challenge on the internet is is somewhat of a moron challenge i like the current one where people are like bottle cap challenge the bottle cap challenge yeah that's a good that's a good one it's a great my favorite my favorite one is the donnie yen one have you seen that one um, I don't, I think I have. Yeah. I just went through like, uh, 10 minutes scrolling through my timeline and that was about as much bottle cap challenge as I needed. So yeah. He's wearing a, he's, ra- he's wearing a Raptors tee, dude. Yeah. I don't know if he's like, like got some type of association with Toronto or what. I'm not sure. You'd be surprised at how many like people in the Hong Kong film industry, like spend a lot of time in Toronto. Either their residence oh, is I'm here. I'm not surprised. Yeah. I know. They're yeah. probably from my neighborhood. Like out in Scarborough or Richmond Hill, so yeah. Who is it? I think it was like back in the nineties, I think like I think it was this actor named Leslie Chung was like living down by the waterfront. And I think I think Andy Lau used to live in Toronto, maybe as well. I just know like I I'd see like, you know, Hong Kong film director Ringo Lamb downtown Toronto, like, is that Ringo Lamb? Oh shit, it is Ringo Lamb. Holy shit. Honestly, I'm so not he, I'm not really even that familiar with a lot of the Hong Kong stars, so you'd probably be more aware than I am, but um I mean it's a huge Hong Kong like Cantonese demographic out here, myself included. So it makes sense. Yes, so they they so I would say if, you know, if you see Donnie Yen walking around the streets of like Toronto, he probably lives probably has a summer home. I I would imagine he doesn't winter home. In Toronto, it would not he's, be a good idea. He's probably at Pacific Mall, like maybe getting his like fake iPhone charger or something, or getting his like screen repaired or battery replaced or something like that. Wait, wait, wait. Why would someone with the bank account of Donnie Yen ever go to Pacific Mall? Well, come on. In the end, we all want to save ten dollars, don't we? Is Pacific Mall the same as it was before I left? Um, when was it? What 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 were the, sort of the the the, the main wares when? when you left <laughs> dvds <laughs> uh yeah it's, bags bags i mean that's not really my scene so i'm not really quite aware of the bags but dvds are are, are they had a huge crackdown on dvds so you don't see that anymore All, on the other hand like who buys dvds anymore anyway so that market's pretty much dried up but um 
right now it's more 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 like cell phones, cell phone accessories, um, uh, food. Like it's got a pretty great food court on the second floor. They do. They do have a very good food court. For people who don't know, we we should explain briefly what Pacifica Mall is. It's it's this giant mall. Like I it's, guess pre- it's, pre- it's they call it like the biggest. I I don't know. Chinese mall, indoor Chinese mall, like outside of China, I guess, outside of Hong Kong or China. Something. And it was like real, really famous for having like you know goods like imported from Asian countries, including China and like even Japan. Um, but they they were really famous when I started going there for like like DVDs of, of movies and stuff like that. And I'm not saying I ever bought one. I'm just saying that's what it was famous for. Oh, I bought just, plenty. Like they like it, it got to a time where like they had to like. You had to act like so they would only put like Chinese like fake DVDs up front at one point because there were so many crackdowns. So in order to get the English titles, you kind of have to like ask the person, "Hey, got any English movies?" And then like if they they think that you're cool, they'll lead you to the back room, and in the back room is where you'll see all these like it was just it was a time before like high speed downloading and torrenting, and we just went through crazy means to try to get. Well- I also know, not necessarily from first-hand experience, that, you know, if you got a referral from one of their loyal customers, then that was just, like, you're in automatically. You could, like, take a look at their their wares that weren't exactly um, on the up and up. But, you know, it was not just Pacific Mall. It was also First Markham area. Yeah. First Markham, was it a plaza place. or a mall? Yeah, First Markham Place. Tons of those stuff. Some of those oh, yeah. kinds of stores there. And also a great food court. If you like, you know, if you like Asian food, go to the... Food course for Pacific Mall. And if you're ever in place. Richmond Hill, Markham, or, or uh, Northern Scarborough, that's it's kind of what what it is. It's great food, um, cell phone accessories. But moving back to the trivia, <laughs> what's the uh, what's the number one album on the uh, Canadian music charts? Okay, um, God, is it is it Drake? It's not Drake. It's it's a singing group. It's a boy band. Okay, um, boy band from 2012. Uh, oh, One Direction, of course. Yes. What's the name of the album? Fuck, I don't... You, like, I'm already proud of myself for knowing One, Di- One Direction. I, I can't. I, I have no idea what the rest is. <laughs> it's, got, it's an album called Up All Night. Up All Night, yes, of course. Up All Night. And My let's favorite. finally move on to the, the number one movie in the box office in Canada. Okay, uh, August. I'm gonna take a guess. I'm gonna say Fast Six, Fast no. and the Furious Six. Um, I'm okay. I'm okay. Wait, wait, let me think about this. I'm gonna say The Avengers. No. Yeah, I'm gonna say um, uh, uh, Star um Star Trek. Do you want a clue? Yes, please. Yes, please. Uh, it it stars a guy from Boston that's really famous as an actor and as a screenwriter. Okay, so Matt Damon. Um, is it is this a movie about a heist or is it a movie about a man who uh, has amnesia and needs to find his uh old identity back? Uh, the second one. Okay, the uh, the Born su- Supremacy. The born the one after that, the born, no, uh, the born. Wait, actually, I might be wrong about this. Hold on a sec. Uh, it might not start. 
it's, it's one of the Bourne movies. It might not actually be a Matt Damon. Okay, Bourne is movie. it the the one with Hawkeye, the Jeremy yes, Renner one? Um, yes, is that the Bourne Legacy? Sure. Yes. Okay, hold on. I'm looking this up. Okay, Bourne Legacy. Uh, All right. Yes. Yes, it, it is. First it's uh, Jer- Jeremy Renner. Yay! I nailed that one. Which, by the way, is a really good film. Have you seen it? I have not. I've I've seen maybe two of the Bourne movies. I I should I should catch up with the rest. This is oh, the the Bourne. What is it? The Bourne Ultimatum. So yeah. it's Bourne Identity, Bourne Supremacy, which is I'm not a huge fan of the second one, but I love the third one. The third one's awesome, Ultimatum. And this is kind of this the legacy. It kind of runs parallel to the third one. It's a, like a side. It's not a sequel. It's like a side movie. It's happening at the same time, essentially. Oh. It's really good. Like, Jeremy Renner is excellent in this movie. Definitely go check it out. I shall pop by Pacific Mall and see if they have it. Yes. Hey, uh, do you have, it? you have a Born Legacy? Come to the back. Come to the back. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's move to the, the wrestling part of the trivia. Uh, at this time, wait, who is the IWGP heavyweight champion? That would be Hiroshi Tanahashi. Yes, and uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi, in this title run, he beat Okada back in February. And then he would face him again in January of 2013. Who are the IWGP Tag Team Champions? Man, Tag Team Champions. Um, be KES? It's a team before KES, actually. You're very close. Um, no clue. It's uh, Satoshi Kojima and Hiroyoshi uh, Tenzan. Kind of like they're... They're kind of like their 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 comeback after like Kojima rejoined the company, and then they finally pulled the trigger on making them a regular tag team and and, and giving them the titles. Uh, let's move to DDT. Who is the KOD Open Weight Champion? Oh, interesting. Okay, well, I mean, I guess a go-to guess would be Kota Ibushi. Um, and you would be correct. Oh, okay, great, awesome. It is it is Kota Ibushi, uh, the GHC. Heavyweight champion? Uh, in 2012, mm, would it be Sagira? Would it be, um, so that's no. Uh, would it be uh, Goshiyosaki? Or Kenta? No. Or Mar- this guy would, this guy is no longer in wrestling anymore. Um, oh, um, Morishima. Yes, it's Takeshi oh, okay. Morishima. It was a really sad story. Oh, this guy ended I saw up. a photo of him recently. He just kind of like couldn't handle not being in, in wrestling anymore. He was diagnosed, I think, with like diabetes, and his doctor told him to to quit. And then he 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 only knew wrestling. Like he he mm. went straight out of school into the the All Japan later Noah Dojos, and like he 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 was a big star during like the the, you know, the height of Noah's popularity, where they're running Budokan, they're, they're, they do the show at the Tokyo Dome, so. Then he's told he, you can't be a wrestler. It just went downhill there for him, oh, unfortunately. Um, let's move on to North America. Who is the ROH world champion? Okay, in 2012, um, I'm going to take a wild guess. Um, I feel like it would be after all those guys. Uh, okay, I'm going to say um, uh, Davy Richards. No. Um. Is it Nigel? It's not Nigel. Um, is it of that era? Even it, it's. I think it's the era after 
Night, definitely the era after Nigel McGuinness. Okay. It's kind of the the you know, David Richards kind of in Tyler there. Tyler Black. It's after Tyler Black. Um, he's one of the few highlights on the WWE main roster. I feel highlights. Okay. Um. Hmm. Highlights that former for ROH, me at least former ROH uh, champion that's currently on the WWE roster and is a highlight, and that would be. Um, who comes to mind? Feel like once you say it, I'll be like, of course. Um, he likes to wear a t-shirt. Huh? He likes to wear t-shirts. That really does not help at all. <laughs> Wrestler who wears t-shirts. He wears uh, a t-shirt when he wrestles. Okay, t-shirt when he wrestles. Uh, so you're saying somebody's fat, Kevin Owens? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, he he looks he looks way better now. Oh yeah, he's 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 lost a ton of weight. He looks oh, it works in for a him. Hey, if he was if he was skinny, he would not be as 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 great of a character. This is true. Yes, it's it's Kevin Steen. Yeah. I will say this: I when he went to the WWE and they gave him those like shorts instead of him wearing a singlet and a t shirt, I thought this this is the best thing to ever happen to him. The singlet with a t shirt over it sucks. Yeah, that for anyone, not just him. Anyone who does that, I'm sorry, your look sucks. Don't ever do that. The singlet, Singlet's- was, singlet was going to be what he was wearing, I believe. Like he talks about the story quite quite often, where like you know the, his first day, like taking promo photos at the performance center, he wasn't sure what he was going to wear, and somebody just told him to like, you know, was just like be yourself. I think it was Devitt actually who told him to be himself, and he took like a T-shirt, flipped it inside out, and wrote "fight" on it with Devitt's face paint. Oh, that's that's awesome story. Uh, I mean, just the addition. Here's the two things that, that the best thing that ever happened to Kevin Owens was the shorts and the beard. Like he was never gonna be anything if he didn't if he was clean shaven because he looks he looks like a, like a child without a beard. It's it's amazing. I like, I, I I can vouch for that for myself as well. That's why that's why I kept this thing. No, Dwayne, you look good both without the facial hair and 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 with the facial hair. You you work it. You work it well both ways. I'll say that for you. Oh boy, thank you. Wow. Uh, NXT champion at this time. I didn't even think that there would be an NXT thing uh, right now, but 2012. I would it be uh, Seth Rollins? It is indeed Seth Rollins. And and final question, way who is the WWE champion? All right, of 2012. Okay, would it be WWE champion CM Punk? It is. You are correct. It is indeed CM Punk. It's interesting to see the landscape of oh, yeah. these champions in 2012 and compared to 2019. Tanahashi recently was the IWGP champion. Uh, Kojima and Tenzan really phased down. Kotobushi, huge star in New mm-hmm. Japan now. Morishima is out of wrestling. Mm-hmm. Kevin Steen has moved up to you know WWE. I think really, in spite of what we might think, he's probably living his dream of oh, being absolutely. in the company. Absolutely. And former and former Universal Champion as well, Seth. Like he's on top of the world, really. Yeah. You know, he's he he's got the title and and he's he's dating the coolest person in the company in Becky Lynch, and then True. we have CM Punk who's hates wrestling now completely and has wants something to do with it. So seven years is a long time in pro wrestling. It is. It, it might as well be twenty years. You know. Could feel like that sometimes. Yeah. It does. Like I look back at like. Tahashi 10 years ago and it's like 
that's that he he he's complete not completely different but like there's so many different things about him that it's it's hard to imagine that was only 10 years ago mm. whereas some people like 10 years ago is not that different with Tanahashi as an example it's very very different where with Okada there's not a huge gap 7 mm. years difference mm-hmm. but it's the little things the little things that he's added but overall his look is pretty much the same except for that unfortunate period with the lung boys you know yeah. that Thankfully, he he's he stopped doing that. Well, like in doing research for this, I actually looked at like I I looked up a bit of um his TNA run because it had been so long since then. And if you thought the Long Boys were bad, like I'm not even talking about the Okada wear, but what he wore like just as like plain Okada, like parachute black pants, t- just awful. It was like a variation of like Goto wears these yeah, days. I think yeah yeah. But he I think that's that. like I think most American wrestling companies are like oh he's asian let's give him some martial arts gimmick and so like for that you get these 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 kind of baggy pants with kick pads and or you know like you you go full on with like or is is it that or he's going to become the great okada and he wear wear face paint which is what they did with like akira raijin and they did that with uh seiya sonata in tna it's either martial art gimmick or the great muda gimmick you 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 really kind of shit out of luck if you want to do anything else i want to do a race car gimmick you're Asian. You can't do that. Oh, <laughs> shit. <You know? laughs> Absolutely right. Yeah. What what character do you want to be? Hey, you're from China. What character do you want to be? I, I want to be an electrician. No. You look. <laughs> you, you, we're gonna give you some nunchucks. Go out there and play with them or something. Uh, that that's American companies. That way. <laughs> I like to think we're hopefully stepping into like a new era where where that's starting to change. You know, we get we get to see Asians be pirates now, for instance um on wwe tv so i like to think that we're starting to move past that but yeah no i think so i mean i obviously i'm joking but in 2012 they weren't past that yeah they were definitely not, not that long ago past that so it's 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 2019 is more is more woke for people of uh our uh, ethnic background way so it's, mm-hmm. it's a nice thing to see in in wrestling in general but that wraps up this episode of cruel summer uh way thank you very much uh where can people find find more of you you can find a lot of the shows i do right on this very feed that you're listening to this right now that is post wrestling of course uh as well at way 0937 for all of my social media i'm on twitter i'm on instagram i'm on facebook everybody i'm on uh Ustream. i'm on uh 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 asian avenue i'm on are, are you uh, on are you on nico nico i don't know what that is it's a japanese channel for for showing for wrestling oh what is that like legally or li- illegally oh uh, no legal it's legal okay send me it's a link like, I'll, I'll be I'll, on that too you gotta sign up for that okay well we'll, yeah. we'll talk to john about getting a, a post wrestling account that we can all share to watch streaming from uh gato move or or noah or something like that Okay, so you know, something I just thought about is that I'd probably like we're probably going to be in the same city whenever this airs. You know what? We're gonna be spending a lot of time yeah. in the next in the next what eight month period, two separate cities. Yeah, more than I've seen either you or John in like the last uh, ten years, almost. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and and you know who's joining us in Tokyo is British Wrestling Experiences Martin Bushby, the I Brigadier. Know. The Brigadier of British Podcasting. We're, British gonna, we're all going to be in the same hotel. We're going to be maybe sharing the same bunk beds. 
eating the same ramen. We're going to have a Tonkatsu. Tonkatsu. Oh, yes, yes. I look forward to jo- it. Jojo Remy has promised to take us to this wonderful Tonkatsu restaurant in the area that we're staying in. I'm not going to say where we're staying in. I don't want, I don't want stalkers harassing us on the streets of Tokyo. But Jojo Remy, I said, Jojo, we're staying in this area of Tokyo. And he said, oh, will he go to that Tonkatsu restaurant? And I said, yes, please. I showed, like, I showed you the picture of it. I showed Martin the picture of it. You both responded. Showed John the picture. No response. Typical. I wonder Typical if he's at Tonkatsu. It's like, it's one of my favorite things ever. So I, I look so forward amazing. to it. Yeah. Wait, this, this thing melts in your mouth, the way these people prepare it. It's so good. We'll review but that. Anyway, we'll review that. We'll review that. that. That'll be on like the Wrestle Kingdom review. It'll be Wrestle Kingdom January 4th edition. Plus our review of this Tonkatsu restaurant in this area that we're not going to talk about because, one, I'm gatekeeping this place, by the way. I'm not telling anyone where it is. Fuck you. You're not going to eat at the same Tonkatsu restaurant that I eat at <laughs> when I'm in Tokyo. I'm gatekeeping it. You know, Maybe if you're nice, I'll DM you the location and the Google map pin for it. But in general, the general... You know, wrestling Twitter populace, you're not you're not getting the name of this restaurant. I'm not giving you the location on Google Maps for it either. Anyways, oh, thank you, Wei. Uh, of course, you can follow me at WHPark9 on Twitter. Uh, you can also hear me monthly with John Pollock on Post Perez. Of course, here at postwrestling.com. And uh, you can hear me until the end of this Cruel Summer series, which will be in another six episodes. Yeah. I can't believe it, Way. I know. It's, it's incredible. Well, before we sign off, I want everybody to just let's let's take some time to show our appreciation for WH Park uh, for taking the time out of his schedule and not only taking like finding each one of these guests, but scheduling the time to talk to these guests from around the world. I I mean, it's it's one thing I think to be able to schedule a guest in your time zone to schedule like however many guests you, you you've already scheduled for Cruel Summer um, across the world is quite the impressive feat. Uh, so thank you very much, WH. Uh, thank you, Way. I appreciate it. And I want to thank the listeners. I get a lot of positive feedback about each episode since they've been airing. It's very much appreciated. And uh, keep them coming. I it, it motivates me to continue scheduling all these guests around the world. It, can, it motivates me to find the time to record with them and then do the show descriptions, do like some of the not really editing. That's all on John and Way. I want to thank them for that. But... Thank you for all the support I get from the listeners out there. And uh, until next time, I shall bid you adieu and say goodbye. Goodbye.